0: People are already uncomfortable with it, and they've already created an asset bubble, financial bubble. If that financial bubble cracks, they're going to look around next time, and they're going to say, what else can I own that might be safer, that might be more real? And I do think they'll look at gold. I do think they'll look at real estate. I do think they'll look at hard assets. I'm not convinced they'll look at digital Pokemon, but they might.
1: Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with fund manager John Hussman. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with John, in which he explains why he thinks we're in the largest asset price bubble in US history and that a disappointing decade lies ahead for unprepared investors, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that John and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. And please take just a moment to support this channel by first liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Doing so is easy and it helps this channel reach a lot more viewers. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with John Hussman. It looks like you are looking ahead at all the data and saying it looks like we have basically a lost decade ahead of us. Right, where either, um, and this is probably the best case scenario, (laughs) valuations.
0: Uh, If if you get you get a lost decade if we limit the contraction in valuations to the two thousand high.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in best case scenario, we just the the current valuations don't go anywhere for a decade, right? And and this kind of these kind of catch up to fair value over time, Um, or um, we have just a really big correction. In there, or, or you know, probably more likely, real you know, ping ponging around yeah. it, But Oh, we'll but, definitely but, do that. We'll definitely yeah, go yeah.
0: nowhere in an interesting way. See yeah, and,
1: and, and yeah. I want to let you let you to run on that, but I just want to note one thing that you said here. So you've said um, I expect the coming decade, and uh, sorry, uh, most of the damage will come from the top, resulting mm-hmm. in market conditions that are reasonably investable within a year or two. Sure. So, kind of where I'm going here is two things. Um, one is. I read that and I sort of, it sounds a little bit like Jeremy Grantham, which says, hey, you know, when we look at history, when we've seen these conditions, we usually see a market correction of 50% plus coming sometime soon. So I hear you saying, hey, look, there's pretty good possibility of a large market correction. Mm -hmm. But then I hear you saying, but there might actually be a period not too long after that where we can look at some green shoots and we can start to deploy capital
0: yeah oh absolutely so so it's it's really this is and this is a really good question because it's it's an important point for investors to understand when we look at these very very long periods where where stocks went nowhere in an interesting way and 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 in fact if you look at uh you know the i i think 80 years uh from 1929 you know out out to um to 2009 over 50 of them were years, were, were, were comprised by three spans in which the stock market underperformed T-bills. The S&P 500 in total return underperformed T-bills. 50 of 80, more than 50 of 80 years, right? Wow. So it, that's just what overvalued markets do. On the other hand, it's important to understand how those long periods actually unfolded. They were not eighteen-year periods where you didn't have anything to do, right? If you look at look at the 1929, you know, uh, market collapse, right? So we had we had 1929. The, yes, the market lost, you know, uh, about uh, about um, well, close to 90 percent of its value, uh, you know, in in the depression. Only about half of that. So, so that big decline that we had was actually two declines of two thirds. One of them was was actually just a return to historical norms, and then the other, the second loss of two thirds of that uh, was basically because of policy errors and and banking crises and all these sorts of things. But you know, even after you got through that, that was. 1932, and you were back off to the races. Now you had another decline after, you know, after 37, uh, but then, you know, by 40, boom, you're off to the races again. So these very, very long periods of time are punctuated by periods where stocks, you know, get hammered, but then you get a combination of retreat and valuation meets improvement in market internals. Uh, if you look at what we did after the 2000 market collapse, what you'll see is that we, we, we lifted the majority of our hedges in, in early 2003. Because even though the market was profoundly overvalued, and, and I wrote in uh, March of, of 2000 that we expected an 83% loss in technology stocks, and we got it, by early 2003, we had a substantially lower level of valuations and we had an improvement in market internals. And so we lifted our hedges. Uh, if you look at what we did after the 1990 uh, bear market, uh, I not only lifted our hedges, but we, we actually established a leverage position for years. People don't know this about me because they think they know me as a perma bear, right? Um, in, in late uh, 2018, we actually we, we actually lifted uh, a good portion of our hedges as well. We got a little spanked, and that led me to, um, you know, to to do some stress testing and that sort of thing, uh, which then had this ha- had this unfortunate side effect of convincing me that these these uh, overextended syndromes were important at exactly the wrong time when the Federal Reserve disabled them. Uh, that's, you know, that's unfor- sort of an unfortunate uh, you know, wandering through this particular cycle. But the fact is that in late uh, 2018, after the market had collapsed o- over 40%, I- I'm sorry, late 2008, um, we had a combination of you know, a retreat in valuations and an improvement in market action that encouraged us to, to reduce our hedges, right? So these things will happen. Right, we will get that in this cycle too. Uh, and in you know, 2007, by the time you get to 2009, you had investable conditions again. So when I talk about 10 year periods and possibly 20 year periods where stocks are likely to underperform T-bills, that is measured from this precipice. That is measured from this point, right? But if we drop substantially, then, you know, even if the market goes nowhere in an interesting way for a decade, we drop down here and we get not only the growth, but we also get the recovery in prices and then you get a good return measured from the low. Uh, and so there are both things can be true at the same time. You can be in a situation where stocks are likely to do poorly for 10 to 20 years and yet, two years later, you're at another level of valuations completely, where you get the combination of a retreat in valuations plus an improvement in market internals, ideally, oversold conditions, ideally, credit spreads come down, ideally, some of these other measures of risk aversion come down. And you say, oh, you know what? Now we've got good valuations and the risk aversion is abating. Let's. Become more aggressive. In every other cycle, we did that. Uh, I kind of got blown out of the water by by a few things in this cycle, but the main one was that once interest rates hit zero, the the, the limits came off, and so we've adapted to that. We've you know we've we've uh, altered our, our you know our discipline to the point where next time we see you know this retreat in valuations coupled with an improvement in market actions. We're, you know our hedges will come off too, as they did, you know, in two thousand three, as they did in, in ninety, as they did in late tw- late two thousand
1: eight. Oh, so that, that that's great. And you know, just like you say, people unfairly paint you as a perma bear. Um, you know, we on this channel we spend a lot of time warning people about current conditions, and we get sort of painted with the doomer brush, right? And and really, John, I I just think guys like like you and we, I, I really call us pragmatic opportunists
0: it's oh, been man. a long time though it's been, we've 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 been watching this thing for a long time and so so it's it it, it is uh, it, it, if you look at where valuations were even in 2012 you know stocks were priced in 2012 for poor long-term returns the problem is that they went from poor to dismal to <laughs> horrific yeah. and, and as you drive down the long-term return you're driving up the price. And so now we're at a point where prospective returns are horrific. We can't say that it's the end. Uh, if market internals improve, even I will say, well, we might have a little more to go here. But right now, uh, you know, I'm very concerned because we've got all of these extreme conditions plus uh, some likely pressure on you know, profits and so forth.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, all I was going to say is I see us as pragmatic opportunists. The problem is, is the opportunity has sucked and has just continued to suck more and more from perspective. Uh, but but when we see, you know, the, the, the coast being clear to deploy capital, like we absolutely want to do that. And so I'm just going to mention, um, John, so. Um, Every week on this program, at the end, I bring in the folks from New Harbor Financial, which is the financial advisory firm that's uh, wealthy on endorses. You know these guys already, John. Um, John Lodra and Mike uh, Preston. I'm going to bring them in a bit early this time around, simply because they are huge, huge followers of your work. I know they have a couple of questions for you. I do want to, after they ask a question or two, I do want to get to the key questions of sort of where you see, well, one, what you think folks should do to try to avoid from becoming roadkill right now. And then two, where you think the opportunity is going to lie over the next decade. But before yeah. we get to those two questions, um, Mike and John, why don't you guys come on in? John, let's start with you. Question here of uh, of uh, your hero, uh, John
2: Husman here. Sure. Well, yeah, hero uh, hey, here, here is a, certainly a proper, uh, you know, um, Title that we would uh, bestow upon John. He does great work. He's a very generous man in his research and his uh, time and his humility. And we appreciate that about him. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, we could, we could fire away for hours here, John, because we are big fans of your work. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think what is most present on my mind, we we talk with retail clients every day. We, our clients sure. are individuals, families, couples. Um, so we we have the unique privilege, I suppose, to, to really get into lives of these people and and try to translate uh, what we see and, and analyze in markets that certainly uh, everybody from the Federal Reserve to the CNBC tries to confuse the issue from from the arithmetic that you so nicely point out um, but you know so one of the one of the things that's present in a lot of folks minds today is is this uh, this concept of there is no alternative but now that you've got the specter of inflation thrown in so it's yeah. another reason for folks to think there is no alternative to but but to be in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, and, and we know, and you know from your research, but I, w- I wonder if you could speak to this concept that um, cash is a horrible place to be in an inflationary environment, You know, relative to the, the textured nuance of stock valuations as a better place to be or, or not.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you actually look at the historical data uh, in the US, what you will find, is uh, that if you look at the S&P 500, if you examine its total return during periods where inflation is rising, so the year-over-year rate is higher than it was, say, six months earlier, right? Um, As long as the the inflation rate is over 2%, stocks have actually underperformed treasury bill rates during those periods. And the higher the rate of inflation, the more stocks have underperformed. Right? because the first casualty of inflation is stock valuations. And the nominal growth that you get from the inflation doesn't uh, supersede the contraction in valuations until valuations have been normalized. And so what you see in periods, especially where stock valuations are high and inflation is rising, is that that you don't get a good return from stocks? That the growth in nominal cash flows is not enough to counter the downward pressure on valuations. So that's so that's probably the first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, and this is something that I that I find in in, in my own work. Uh, it, you know, even though I write regularly, I write monthly. Um, you know, we do our our analysis. You know constantly. So, so I would actually think most of what I do is actually, it it would actually be um, termed hedged equity. Uh, And so, you know, so I have strategies, for example, uh, you know, asset, you know, an asset allocation strategy uh, that, that I, that I follow, that I look at individual stocks and try and decide Um, You know, how much uh, equity exposure should I have? How much bond market exposure? How much, um, you know, how much should the equity uh, exposure be hedged, right? Uh, And those are things that, for me, I do every day. I can't write enough for someone to actually make those changes. And so, so when you're talking to a client and you're saying, well, you know, uh, we've got you in cash here. That's going to be very uncomfortable for them because because they're they're going to say, well, when is this going to end? Uh, my best my, my best answer to that is uh, it's probably it's probably better to be doing something hedged than uh, than being completely in cash if you've got um, you know if you've got reasonable expectations that. That what you're hedging is 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 value-based. So so I like you know value-based hedged equity. Um, you know I, I think that that a small portion, especially of institutional uh, portfolios, uh, should probably be in managed futures. Uh, I do you know I I do have um, you know some ownership of uh, of of treasury inflation-protected securities, although. Uh, Those have gotten, you know, those have run up quite a bit, and you know, we've got, you know, some farmland and that sort of thing as well, you know, in our, you know, family holdings. Uh, So, so, you know, you can respond to an inflationary environment without without saying, well, my answer to this is stocks. Uh, But even more than that, I think what Adam was saying is exactly right. That we have to be in this environment. Um, opportunistic, right? We have to be opportunistic and we have to think about the market in terms of not only the valuations, but also the speculative pressures, right? Right now, I actually think that over the next decade, uh, passive investments will do less than zero in in the US equity market. I think that you'll actually have a loss in total return. So cash right now has enormous option value. Why? Because if the market does retreat, you can allocate that capital. You can you can um, put that capital in, and you don't have to put it in all at once. You can you know you can dollar cost average in. You if if you've got a client who really wants to own something, you could start dollar cost averaging very low right now. Even you, they're probably loose on those initial investments, but doing something may prevent them from throwing everything in all at once in a way that really harms them. So, so my view, you know, in, terms of, in terms of, for example, how a financial planner might approach things is to say, look, we've got a, a market that is extremely overvalued. We've got bond yields that are next to nothing. We will put some amount of assets into passive investments, you know, dollar cost average in, but but do it very slowly right now. And if we get a retreat in valuations and if we get improvement in market action and so forth, we will accelerate that. And likewise, we'll also hold some alternative assets, ones that have some flexibility, ones that are more opportunistic and, and have a variable market exposure. And I think the combination of those two things, a small averaged in passive exposure plus alternatives, uh, you know, will be, I, I think, more comfortable than, than, than having, having nothing Although I, again, I, I really do think the early passive investments uh, in the market are likely to be losers. I, I, I think we are at valuations that make it very difficult for an initial allocation stocks to be successful. So you, know, so you may wanna defer some of that uh, until, you know, until we get at least some moderate retreat in valuations. Again, we're at levels that are 50% higher than the highest level of valuations that we ever saw before last year.
1: All right. Hey, John Hussman, uh, I think uh, your checks in the mail from the guys at New Harbor there for saying that (laughs) passive investing will probably do less than zero over the next decade, uh, because that's a great endorsement for somebody to work with an active professional, right, who can put together an actively managed portfolio for them. Um, Mike, do you have a question here for John?
3: Yeah, I'd like to maybe make a couple of comments, then, then a question, you know, and, and I'm just fascinated by this by this talk. And I'm we're fascinated by your work, John. And and we can't can't emphasize enough to people. And we say it to almost every prospect and client we talk to to read John Husman's work.
0: Oh, you know, thanks there's
3: not very many voices God. of reason out there, and I could count them on, on on a lot less than fingers on one hand. You know, if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for Analysis backed by real data. If you're looking for something to help keep your sanity, um, check out John Husman's work. You can get to it. I, I'm sure John will say it later. But well, husband.com. You, can, you can
0: follow my Twitter account too. Uh, HussmanJP. Hussman, yeah. H-U-S-S-M-A-N-J-P. Uh, I You, I post my comments as well as as well as random thoughts on just about anything, including medical papers on COVID, which people don't know how much scientific background I have, but I published two of those last year. Yeah, and I do (laughs) it's an amazing amount. (laughs) So so you hit on a a bunch of
3: points I just want to mention here, John. And then I then I will get to the question. I mean just I'd like to maybe throw out some quotes from the your your piece today that I thought were really good and prescient. And you were you were quoting Jeremy Grantham quite a bit too and Jeremy said, you know, people don't remember what you sound like when you're serious. One of the disappointments I think in in our time during this bubble, is that we're pounding the table, backed by real data, warning people it hasn't mattered, right? It hasn't no. mattered, no. and cool um, <laughs> it's until it does, right? Yeah. So, but we're dead serious and have been dead serious, you know, every week on this program, you know, and, and in our conversations with people for the last few years. And you say amplifying a bubble doesn't avoid its consequences, you know, it's right. And all speculative bubbles collapse. You know, it's, it's amazing. I didn't think that we would be able to see more extremities in terms of euphoria and psychological distress in this year than we've seen in previous years. But indeed, we've seen them doubly, you know, strong. Yeah. You know, we, we've we, all kinds of stories from, from prospects and clients that are hearing their friends and neighbors brag, you know, and another thing you say in your piece bragging is a symptom of the crest of the mania, you know? And that's been well, going this, on for a long yeah, time. Yeah, this,
0: this wealth you know? that people see kind of popping up around them. Uh, it, they, they're imagining that it's a brave new world. And what it really is, if you look at prior bubbles, it is the symptom of, 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 of a speculative bubble that is cresting, a, a speculative wave that is cresting. We saw exactly the same stuff. Uh, you know, Grantham called it crazy behavior. I, I mentioned a couple of uh, examples in, in my market comment from 2000, uh, where, you know, the, these stocks rise from nowhere. Uh, back in uh, the late 60s, uh, John Brooks, who wrote uh, the book called The Gogo go Years, uh, called them the shooters. You know, these securities that would double and triple uh, in, in a few weeks. Um, and so, so those shooters, those you know speculative boom wealth out of nowhere it looks so attractive but it's actually a symptom of uh, you know a, a, a speculative mania uh, and and they and badly
3: it's been really hard to, to deal with for for everybody you know money managers individuals everybody and you know we think that everyone's going to pay the consequences of it eventually and and you know. Analyzing your words, you you know, you talk about, you know, dollar cost averaging, you know, the time for passive investments is long gone. We couldn't agree more. It really gets to to, to what we think is a psychological war game, for lack of a better word. You know, the Fed has doubled and quadrupled down on these same policies. You say in your piece at every point, the Fed, instead of reducing, the, you know, the ultimate aspects of this bubble have chosen to double down every time. Yeah. And to us, it's absolutely psychological mind games. And it forces money managers to consider game theory. Well, hey, if we, if we do a little bit of this you know, over here, it'll, it'll relieve some of the pressure and it will keep a client from damaging themselves more. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had that kind of discussion and arguments with, with uh, even each other and people in our business, our peers.
0: Yeah. no, And and you do have to make those decisions of, of, you know, I mean, you know, for, for me, I know what my role is. I'm, you know, I manage alternative strategies. My expectation is that people may have some portion of their assets in passive and they use, use me in in the alternative bucket, uh, you know, or something like that. Uh, But I know what my role is even, you know, when people you know, throw, you know, throw stones at me. Uh, I know what I'm here to do. I know what my strategy is. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've adapted to what I had to adapt to. Um, but for someone who like you, who's managing the full portfolio, then, you know, you really do have to think of, you know, what what can I do to uh, to allay my clients distress, but also do the right thing for them. And that I, I recognize the difficulty in that. And I think I, I think part of it is, uh, you know, for you, I think you have to have some diversification in, you know, you know, some some amount uh, as as much as you as much as you may expect, and I do uh, that 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 certain passive investments are are going to lose. Um, you know, a diversified portfolio doesn't doesn't impose too much of a of you know, you know of an expectation on on having zero. Again, you know, for for an alternative strategy, you know, discipline like like us, that's kind of what we're supposed to do. Uh, but for yeah. a full portfolio, you know, you 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 have to you have to make those sort of game theory choices. Yeah, I think, and I think that's exactly the right phrase. It's it it really is, you know, when people are talking about, I'll mention this, and it 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 kills me uh, that that people are saying, well, you know, maybe I'll just have one percent of my money in crypto. Yeah. You know? Well, the problem there is that if everyone was to have 1% of their money in crypto if everyone was to have 1% of their money in dirty socks i guarantee you that the market capitalization of dirty socks would be 1% of the total market capitalization of all assets it must be true mathematically right so so this idea that i'm just going to put my money into something that you know that that, that is frankly, essentially, you know, an electronic Pokemon, right, or an electronic, you know, Beanie Baby um, that, that is not a substrate of the banking system, uh, unlike base money. Uh, every transaction you use, uses base money. And that's why it has value, because there's a small, 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 small transaction benefit that you get from holding base money whether you like it or not because it's used in so many transactions Bitcoin 2,000 transactions every 10 minutes and you're done. It's got no bandwidth and it's using it is burning up enormous amounts of energy So I I'm, I, I, I know that that uh, someone asked what my opinion is I'm not a fan I think I think you know cryptocurrency is basically, a symptom of central banks having uh, degraded the confidence in fiat money. Uh, And I think it's also uh, a misinterpretation of of why currency has value. And it has value that fiat component, the, the, the requirement that it is a substrate of the banking system is what gives fiat money value, right? So you can't just create you know, in electronic Pokemon and say, well, this, hey, look, I, I, I've got one of these too. You know, we, we all use electronic currencies. We do it right now. All of us own electronic currencies. It's called the US dollar because base money, right? Bank reserves are nothing but electronic currency. It may not have the cryptographic features, but the reason it has value is because it's a sub- substrate of the banking system. People will figure this out. But in the meantime, when the Federal, Federal Reserve has just degraded people's psychology and degraded confidence in the currency, you're going to see a lot of behavior, right? That, that, and so you're going to hear your clients asking to be in crypto and you're going to have to play that game theory and you're gonna to have to go, geezy, peasy, really? do I have to do this in order to allay their FOMO when these digital Pokemon um, advance in price? I don't know how to answer that. I'm glad I'm not in that particular aspect of the business.
1: Yeah, I, I'm gonna chime in here, John, j- just to say I have uh, counseled the guys a lot here um, that you know, being good in their jobs, which they are, they have to basically be, you know, therapists and psychologists just as much as they have to be financial yeah. professionals. And I see, I see you nodding here. Hey, Maybe since you so. since you went there, <laughs> I'm with, sorry,
0: Mike, uh, I, I'm not sure I answered your question though because I jumped in. Well, I
1: will get to the question. It
3: seems like you were in the middle of saying
1: something, Adam. No, no, yeah, just real quick, because since John went there, um, so thank you for sharing your thoughts about cryptocurrencies. That was one of the questions, uh, just because that's a perennial interest here of the viewership. Um, what commentary do you have about gold so you know so, when you talk about crypto being yeah. a symptom of, of loss of faith and you know the currency given what the fed's doing yeah. gold is oftentimes you know held for the sure. same reasons sure. um, do you feel it has more of a role I don't want to put words Yeah over.
0: so 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 first of all I, and I should be very clear about this the blockchain algorithm is an extraordinarily useful algorithm I think it will be used for a lot of things in the future you can use it for inventory tracking you can use it for you know basically smart security. contracts
1: all that stuff yeah. yeah
0: all kinds of things so so I'm not saying that that cryptographic right um, you know uh, security and, and and these sorts of things have no role uh, I'm just saying that these that, that, that these digital objects that are produced unless you really you know, uh, you know, unless you really have some, some use for it, right? Uh, the 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 value derives from use or aesthetics. Beanie babies aren't necessarily useful, but they have aesthetics. You know, my you know the the, the kids the kids loved them, right? You know, people love beanie babies. There was a point where the aesthetic was worth much more. Now it's less, but they're still valuable. They still are, they, they're not zero, right? The cuter ones anyway, right? Because they have some aesthetic to them, right? Gold has not only industrial uses, but also aesthetic uh, uses and, those, and the aesthetics go back you know, centuries and the use as a store of value goes back centuries. And so there's, there's, there's a certain, uh, it is partially cultural Right, but there is a certain value that people have for gold, jewelry, and you know that sort of thing, as well as um, industrial uses. Right, and so and so gold itself is you know has features of a commodity. Right, the cryptocurrency is a commodity as well, but it it, it has it has neither of those features. Now it has some right you can use crypto for black market transactions so somebody's going to use it somebody wants to hold it and 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 over short periods of time it's going to be valuable f- to people to do whatever the hell they're doing and you know with 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 cryptocurrency but what what I what I can tell you for sure is that the bandwidth of blockchain uh, is, is roughly 2,000 transactions every 10 minutes and takes an enormous amount of energy. And every time somebody gets that shot, 256 you know, uh, uh, you know, code to, to, to validate a block of transactions, everyone else's energy is wasted and you start at zero. And that's a problem ecologically. Uh, and so I'm not a fan, frankly. Uh, of Bitcoin in particular. Uh, some of the other uh, cryptocurrencies, frankly, are, are amusing. And I think they are, uh, they, they are speculative amusements, uh, kind of like Beanie Babies, but with less aesthetics. I can't say they're not gonna go up. Because again, if, 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 if people wanna invest 1% of their portfolios in a hamper of dirty socks, and everybody does it, that hamper of dirty stock is going to be worth 1% of the asset market. Uh, so I can't say that they're going to zero over the short term. I, I suspect uh, a lot of them will go to zero or near nearly zero over the longer term.
1: All right. Well, you're making me excited to launch my new NFT series of Dirty Socks. Um, so I'm doing that as soon as we get off here. Um, Mike, let's go to you to let you ask whatever question you wanted to. And then I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. But it looks like we're on our track to have a two-hour discussion. with I miss you. I haven't
0: seen you since, wow, well, California years a ago. long so, time so ago. It's, it's, yeah. it's very nice to see you guys.
3: Line country, right. Yeah, my question was basically about gold and, and real estate. You know, I mean, that's, I'll get right to the point. It's because yeah. of the psychological torture people have been going through. We're heavy cash. We are playing the game around the edges, but we're heavy cash yeah. like we think we should be. And we strongly advocate real assets, not to go yeah. out and speculate or leverage in real estate, but owning your own home, maybe even yeah. paying off the mortgage makes sense and having a core position in precious metals. Other real things too, like farmland, maybe, but. Gold and silver is the easiest thing for most people, and real estate. So, just wanted your comments on that.
0: Thanks. I agree with all of the above. I, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of my own portfolio, obviously, you know, most of my uh, liquid assets are invested in my own strategies. Uh, that's the way I prefer it. That's the way I've always done it. Uh, you know, I you know I, I, I got nicked uh, in in this cycle, but we've done well uh, over the long term. Uh, you know, in, in in full cycles in the past, and I you know. My objective is full cycles in the future, so 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 I do like uh, strategies that have the ability to vary their exposure uh, and that are generally invested in value stocks, you know, value-oriented stocks at all times, and basically just choose how much of the beta, you know, how much of the market exposure to hedge. So that's one part. Um, but I, but I completely agree. You know, with with having some amount of assets in precious metals, uh, some amount of assets uh, in in you know, I mean, we live on an old horse farm, so uh, so so I've got that one covered in terms of, you know, in, in terms of farmland. Uh, but um, you know, but but um, you know, in terms of you know having real estate, I think over the longer term you will get appreciation. We have had a run-up in real estate. It is a little bubbly in terms of residential, uh, but, uh, you know, but But I think over the longer term, uh, that that is going to be an important hedge, basically because if 27% of GDP. Let me put that in context. Historically, in order to uh, regulate interest rates, in order to, to affect interest rates, Uh, The way the Federal Reserve has done it is to create a certain amount of zero interest money, because, you know, as you create more interest, uh, zero interest money, people chase yield. That's actually how the Fed changes interest rates, right? It creates more zero interest money. And by doing so, people say, well, what can I hold instead? And so they bid up T-bills and they bid up, you know, other competing assets that are that are yielding something and so you get what's what economists call a liquidity preference curve right where the more zero interest base money you have as a share of GDP the lower interest rates are the you know the 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 less zero interest money you have the higher interest rates are and you can you can do a scatter plot of that and it's beautiful the problem is that in order to get two percent interest rates you can't have more than about nine, 10% of base money per dollar of, of, of GDP, unless you actually go out and, and explicitly pay banks interest on their reserves in order to jack those interest rates up, which is what IOER is, interest rate on, interest on excess reserves, right? That's what the Fed had to resort to, why? Because it, it didn't stop at 10%, it didn't stop at 12. It didn't stop at 15. It went all the way out to 27% of GDP that is in zero interest, you know, zero interest liquidity. So, so it has bought interest bearing securities, replaced them with zero interest base money that somebody has to own. That money isn't gonna go into stocks, it may go through stocks. But the minute you take your base money, your zero interest money and buy stocks with it, guess what? The person who sold you that stocks has to hold the stuff. It's not going away. It's not going into anything. It might go through all kinds of things but it's not going into anything. It's going to stay base money on the sidelines in a stack until the Fed gets rid of it or until nominal GDP grows enough to bring it back down to a reasonable fraction of GDP. And, and my suspicion is that that's part of what we've got in our future. So to get from 27% of GDP down to 9% of GDP, you have to triple your CPI or you've got to, or you've got to have the Fed go backwards in their, in their um, balance sheet. It's not clear which one will occur. I suspect it'll be partially both, but, uh, but my sense is that when you're looking at this much deficit finance that has been funded by essentially printing money, people don't like to say that, but if you buy the treasury securities and you never retire them, guess what? You've printed money right, to finance the deficits. If you never retire, you've printed money, period. And you've printed money until you retire, right? That's, it's just the way it works, right? So, so the Fed has printed a bunch of money. It may or may not retire it, but people are already uncomfortable with it. And they've already created an asset bubble, financial bubble. If that financial bubble cracks, they're going to look around next time and they're going to say, what else can I own that might be safer, that might be more real? And I do think they'll look at gold. I do think they'll look at real estate. I do think they'll look at hard assets. I'm not convinced they'll look at digital Pokemon, but they might. Um, but 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 this is something that investors have to think about, and and most of all should have parts of their portfolio dedicated to just in case you get that. So so uh, so I have. I, I don't think I've had a zero position in gold uh, for. Um, for for 20 years, I've always had something. in.
1: And... well, wow, thank you for giving such a detailed answer, there, John. Um, folks, we normally uh, say goodbye to our guest, and then I follow up with John and Mike here from New Harbor. Uh, we're going to break the the format this time just because we've gone so long. But as we're as the show
0: tunes. No, just... yeah, yeah.
1: But as if you gathered from this discussion, um, they you know, actively manage uh, client portfolios taking an awful lot of what John Hussman uh, does, writes, publishes, forecasts uh, into account. If you wanna learn uh, more about what they do, and they also offer free consultations they don't cost anything you don't have to work with the guys they'll just sit down with you hear what you're looking to do look at your personal situation and they'll tell you what they think you know would be good for you to do you can do it yourself you can do it with your existing advisor or if you like him you could work with them if you want to find out more about that stick around at the end of the video it's coming up in just a couple of minutes we tell you how to do that it's very easy and quick john husman as we wrap up here um, for folks that have enjoyed this incredibly generous nearly two hours you've just given us here and would like to follow you and your work going forward where should they go uh,
0: it, it, like I say uh, probably the easiest place to get sort of my regular thoughts is is uh, look me up on Twitter hussman JP uh, you can also go to hussman.com uh, and you'll find you know a bunch of our proje- projects including Husman strategic advisors which is uh, my advisory uh, firm and so forth so
1: Awesome. Excellent. And, you know, uh, when we're editing this, I'll put up the, the handle to both your Twitter uh, your handle sure. and your, uh, your your website there. And if it's OK with your client, fo- your compliance folks, uh, John, um, I'm going to put a downloadable PDF of your oh, latest yeah. market comment uh, on absolutely. our site with a big button of where folks can go to actually sign up to get more of those sure. in the future. Sure. Yeah,
0: no, that's that, that's absolutely fine.
1: So to get that free download of John Hussman's most recent market commentary, the one that we've been citing so often through this discussion, just go to wealthion.com slash Hussman or click on the link provided in the description of this video below, and you can get it there for free. Right now. All right. John Hussman, look, I cannot thank you enough for coming back on the program. I know you're such a busy guy. I know you had a lot of commitments, but I'm so glad you made the opportunity to come on here. It was wonderful. And now that we're coming out of COVID, and I hope your your you know commentary about the fact that you know we're sort of at critical mass now, vaccination-wise, that in, unless God forbid there's another super you know strain that comes yes. out. We should be putting it largely in the review. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that just allows us to all get together in person at some point in time. And I got to tell folks.
0: Looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. John's not only a superb financial analyst uh, and also uh, a super knowledgeable PhD on tons of topics, but including... Medical research and the work that he's done around COVID is, is absolutely stunning, and also autism uh,
0: awesome and yeah, a, bu- a, a it, bunch of things. So we so the foundation does uh, you know a, a great deal of of scientific research. We have uh, research labs um, in neuroscience and uh, and uh, husband's, husband Institute for Human Genomics at the University of Miami. So uh, so that's that's kind of what I do with my income is 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 to fund charity. Uh, and work on you know important things. Uh, autism. Uh, we've we've done some work in in uh, COVID over the past year, uh, looking at Alzheimer's, uh, and and uh, the Institute for Human Genomics does a lot on that. Uh, and um, you know if if you're interested in that, go to uh, the Hussman Institute for Human Genomics uh, at uh, the University of Miami. Uh, but uh, but yeah, happy to happy to join you guys.
1: So, brilliant guy, philanthropist, man with a heart of gold, making me and the rest of the guys here on the program wondering what the hell we've done with our lives. Um, John is also a phenomenal guitar player, um, just to add to the list of his rena- Renaissance Man capabilities. Um, I think you've already, folks watching, have already gotten a great sense of just what a wonderful human being he is. Uh, but, John, thanks so much again for coming on the program. Oh, it's,
0: it's a joy. Nice to see you, all you guys.
1: All right. John and Mike, thanks for coming on, guys. Everybody else, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.
0: And thank Excited. you. Thanks, see John. You
1: Great time. to see you again. Thanks. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold. And when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with US citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.